Amen. Amen. That touched my heart, and that's hard to follow. I'll tell you what. Mm. Appropriate on Mother's Day. Thank you, ladies and young ladies. Appreciate that very much. First John chapter number 3 is where we'll look at first as we consider the topic for this evening. It's a, a, a simple topic, and yet I think it's one that um, in its simplicity often we overlook what John gets to in this epistle. And we're talking tonight about the diagnosis of spiritual delinquency. First John chapter number 3, we'll let you get your place there in God's Word. If you need a Bible, there's one in front of you. You know, it's very important when you are attempting to fix something to get the proper diagnosis. In fact, in many ways, it is probably one of the greatest obstacles you have to overcome. Uh, let's say, or let's put it in the context of a health issue. And certainly uh, in our church, we've had many who have wrestled with or have faced different health issues and tackled uh, different health situations. And, and one of the greatest obstacles, one of the greatest needs in fixing a health problem is a proper diagnosis. Um, even in my own health situation, my goodness, you, uh, you can't seem you can ever get the answers. And uh, uh, many of you have asked before, and some of you, uh, some have been got, getting on to me, share a little bit more, but really there's no more to tell. Uh, still suffering some things personally. And the last, I went to a rheumatologist, and all the blood tests said it's not rheumatoid arthritis or anything like that, and he still wants to do two or three more tests uh, along those lines. You're like, hey, don't, can't you understand what this is pointing? And so going to another doctor at the end of this week. Anyway. Many of you have the same thing. You've shared it with me, your frustration over um, the wrong diagnosis or not getting to the underlying issue, the problem uh, that is there. Um, we can understand why. Well, sometimes we get very frustrated. In fact, we want to throw in the towel when we don't get a proper diagnosis. When, when you can't get to the bottom, look through the symptoms and say, okay, here is the, the problem. So that's why, yes, health-wise and other th everything else, it's important to have a proper diagnosis. But how much more important it is, spiritually, to have a right diagnosis of when something's wrong. When something's wrong in someone's life and someone's heart, and we've used this term tonight, the idea uh, of being delinquent. Uh, okay, delinquency. Uh, Cambridge uh, Dictionary defines delinquent as this, someone who behaves in a way that is illegal or not acceptable. So let, let's take that idea, let's apply it to the spiritual realm, and we would say to be delinquent spiritually uh, is to describe someone who is saved, knows how a Christian ought to behave and live, but fails to do so. It encompasses a, what we might term a backslider, as we talked about last week in James. Uh, uh, might include a prodigal son or daughter. Uh, maybe we could just define it this way. Uh, spiritually speaking, it's a child of God that is not living and acting in one way or another as if he or she belongs to the family of God. That's a delinquent. That's someone who has some delinquency in their life and in their living. They don't look it. They're a child of God, but they don't look it in the way they live and, and the things that they do. And, and so uh, they're not living in accordance with the life the Bible describes how a Christian life ought to look. It's interesting. The Bible does tell us to judge such things. 
We're supposed to judge fruit. We're supposed to look at people's lives starting with our own and say, okay, is there obvious fruit that they are walking with God? We'll hit on it tonight. And their relationship with God is thriving and doing well. It is our encouragement from Scripture to do those things. Uh, it, it's part of church discipline. It's part of the church community. It's part of the life of a believer. Uh, that's what we're encouraged to do. You know, sometimes such living on the part of Christians, in other words, they live like a delinquent spiritually, it, it gives rise to some, follow, uh, some questions, some of which follow. Why do some Christians go on living in a way that displeases God? I've had that question. Maybe you've had it in your own head or someone has asked it of you. How can a Christian go on living in a way that displeases God? Are they saved or are they not? Um, How can they do that? If they're a born-again believer and they know God, and how can they go on and, and, and have this thing in their life or this thing in their life, this attitude, and whatever the case may be, how in the world do they go on living that way? It can also lead to some personal, introspective questions that we ask in our own hearts. You see, you may not consider yourself delinquent and maybe a sinner or so forth, but sometimes we're not getting much out of reading God's Word. We might ask ourselves, why, why don't I get anything out of my devotions? Can I tell you as a pastor, as a youth pastor, <laughs> as a Christian school administrator, reality is tens and uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of times I've been asked that question. Someone coming to me and sitting down and saying, I'm just, it just feels like I'm not getting anything out of my devotions. I, I struggle getting something out of preaching or teaching that I hear. Or it's something like this. I don't feel that bad if I do something wrong. I, I don't really have a heart to be holy like God is in every way. I, I'm kind of satisfied with mediocrity, with, with being lukewarm. I, I'm thankful. Don't get me wrong, Pastor. I'm thankful that I am a Christian But I'm okay, I'm comfortable with being delinquent in some areas in my life. So what's wrong with me? Now, you may have never articulated that. But possibly, if you were honest in your heart this evening, those questions have come up. Maybe you've gone through a season in your life where reading the Bible, maybe sitting under the preaching of God's Word, just did not have the effect it normally did or it once did. Maybe in your own heart, you weren't even challenged to, to, to grow in some ways. There's some things in your life that you, you've known for a long time. They're not right, but during that season, it didn't really bother you. Yeah, yeah, your heart wasn't smitten like it once was, maybe over those things. Well, we have to conclude there's a problem, a delinquency that needs to be remedied. Uh, and it's a delinquency that heaven desires to be corrected. So what steps do we take to diagnose it? How do we do that? Because it has to be, first of all, it always starts with the correct diagnosis. We've got to get the right diagnosis. Okay, what's going on in that person's life? They're straying from God. What's going on there in my own life? Why why am I not getting something out of my devotions? Why is this? Let's get to the bottom of it. And and sometimes within our circles and even within our churches, sometimes we will address the surface things, but we don't peel back the layers and we don't get to exactly what it is. So the, one of the initial common responses to that, to uh, this kind of delinquency, is to ask, is that person really saved or not? And I'll tell you, that's a good place to start. 
If you're delinquent spiritually, the first thing you ought to say is, am I saved? Was there a time when I put my faith and trust in Christ? In fact, not just starting with salvation, we want to look at this in its entirety to understand the diagnosis. Okay, so stick with me. Help, uh, bear with me. We saw this verse last week, I believe it was. I shared it with you. I don't want to uh, exp- maybe settle on it just for a moment. First Peter 3.18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, and we focus in on these words, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Now, it's going to do us good this evening. I want our young people to pay attention, especially uh, teenagers and, and, and even young adults. Listen carefully. I, this is something that we in fundamentalism ha- haven't emphasized the way maybe we needed to, or uh, maybe we haven't given it the credence uh, that we ought to have, but I want to do it tonight. I, I want to stress with you tonight what even Peter is saying here and what often leads this spiritual delinquency. So listen up, if you will, with your ears in your heart. You know, it has happened oftentimes. A church member will come up to me. And in that, that church members come up to me and they have said something, maybe here at church or maybe out and about when we've been out somewhere and they see me and, and they're talking to someone or whatever the case may be. And they come up to me and say, hey, pastor, I want you to meet somebody. I want you to, to introduce you to somebody. And that's always fun. You have that happen to you sometimes, right? And uh, so, hey, I want you to meet somebody. If it's here, that's fantastic. It's a visitor. I want to meet the visitor, get to know him a little bit, right? So think about it. They say, hey, I want to introduce you. It's an introduction. Well, what we don't often think about We probably know it. It's there. But the reality is this. In that introduction, reality says that it's the beginning of a relationship. So an introduction, when I'm introduced to somebody, literally, it's the beginning of a relationship. Now, I don't know how that relationship is going to progress. Only time will tell the depth of that relationship, how it develops, how it grows, whatever the case may be, how close I become with that person how deep the relationship will be next month, next year, or the years afterwards. But the bottom line is this. A relationship has begun. Every person I'm introduced with, now I have a relationship. It may stay as an acquaintance, and it may stay on a, a, a maybe even just a base friendship level. Can I tell you this? One of the things that I enjoy is some people maybe who have visited here or family members of some of you that I see out in the world and out and about, and every time I see them, I, I get to build on a relationship. We all do that. So every time we see it, we build a relationship. But it starts with an introduction, okay? For instance, we we understand this. Uh, Carson and Carter, come on up. Oh, boy, you're dressed alike tonight. I forgot. Oh, well, that's okay. Go over here, Carson. Okay, excellent. Okay, this is, okay, Carson, this is Carter. If we think of introduction, okay, think about this. Obviously, their brothers will pretend they're not, okay? And uh, if I was going to introduce Carter to Carson, okay, I would say something like this. Hey, Carter, I want you to come here. Come here, buddy. Come over here, and uh, I want you to meet Carson. Carter, meet Carson. Carson, meet Carter. That's a little hard. Okay, good. Shake hands. Shake hands. Okay, good. All right, now let's step back a second, okay? Thank you. That's what happens in life when we introduce. When you introduce me to somebody, I introduce you to somebody. We br- that's what. Now, notice. What did 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says? That Jesus Christ suffered to do what? To bring us to God. Now listen, young person. Do you realize what Jesus Christ did on the cross at Calvary? Yes, he shed his blood for you. Yes, he paid the penalty for your sins. Yes, he saved you if you put your faith and trust in it. But I want you to understand this. He began and introduced you to a relationship with God. 
Literally in salvation, he said this. Hey, believer, hey, excuse me, believer or, or man, person, human being, I want you to meet God. Let me introduce you to God. I picked the wrong son for that one. All right, so let me introduce you to God. And that's so what starts? Okay, give me your hand. Friendship starts. Now listen. Okay, now, how this relationship grows is dependent. In salvation, an introduction is made. A relationship starts. And young person, you never ought to forget that your salvation isn't just being saved to heaven. It is having a relationship with Almighty God. And when we err spiritually in our diagnosis of what's wrong, we ought to always go back to this. What's wrong? What happened? Gentlemen, be seated. Okay. Think of it in terms of this way, if you might, with me. We put it this way. Number one, three points tonight. It is a beginning relationship. Christ introduces me to God and salvation. He made it possible for me to be introduced. This is what I like. You know, sometimes with royalty or something else, you're like, well, I, I don't, especially like in Britain and other places, I, I don't have, I can't. We're of different rank. I can't just go talk to them. Someone needs to introduce me. Of, of olden times, that was really much how it was. I, you couldn't go up and just talk and start talking. You had to know somebody that knew somebody. They had to have ability to approach the rank. Well, can I tell you, my friends, Jesus Christ has the ability to approach God. By what he did on the cross and his righteousness, now he brings us together, introduces. So it's a beginning relationship. So here's the diagnosis. If things aren't going well spiritually, if I am delinquent in some way, there, there's a couple diagnoses. First of all, uh, if I'm not saved, there's no relationship with God started. And therefore, to not be delinquent starts with getting saved. So the question is, if I'm not doing right spiritually, if I'm not able to obey God's word and I'm not doing the things I ought to do consistently and I'm doing the wrong thing consistently, the first question must be, am I saved? Have I been introduced to God? Have I started a relationship with God in heaven? Then if I have and I have that relationship, I am his, then we must ask this. If there is delinquency possible or, or present, excuse me, if I'm delinquent, then something is wrong with my relationship. And I've got to fix it. And we know from scriptures that in this relationship that God is perfect, and so the fault does not lie in heaven, it lies here on earth. In my breast, in my heart, in my life. There's the fault. This is the next step, the reality is it, it, relationship begins as Christ introduces me, and then Christ or God's desire is for us to have a budding relationship. He intends this relationship to grow, to bud out like a plant into a bigger, deeper relationship than what we would call just an acquaintance level. Here's how we would characterize it. God desires that relationship now to have depth. To know each other deeply. To grow in many different ways. And the Bible instructs us many times over. Have, you know the words. 
that describe this depth of relationship. He says, you are to abide in me. He says, you ought to know Christ. You ought to fellowship with him. In fact, even the word see, you ought to see him. You've seen him as describing that you've spent time with him, literally in his presence. You've seen him face to face. You, are, you experience a close relationship with him. And so that is challenged to us. In fact, First John here is a great little book that speaks wonderfully about this desired relationship that God has for each one of us. Look at chapter 3, verse number 6. We're going to be all over this little book. First John 3, 6, notice it. We'll not focus on the first part, but I want you to draw out some of these words. Whoso abideth in him sinneth not... Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Did you catch those three words? Don't abide in him. And we'll talk what it means when he says, uh, whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. We'll talk about sinneth not. But notice, abideth in him, hath not seen him, neither known him. What is John describing? He's not describing salvation. He is describing, he's speaking to a believer as the beginning of the epistle says, and says, listen, this is the relationship you ought to have, a deep relationship with God Almighty. And when you don't have a deep relationship with God, can I tell you, the train can get off the tracks real quick. You can become a delinquent Christian very, very easily. Yet we've got to diagnose it. We have to understand what the problem is. Look with me, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3. Let's look at a few other verses that emphasize this relationship. Verse 3 of chapter 1. That which we have seen and hath and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Look down at chapter 2 and verse number 3. There's a multitude of other verses. I just highlighted a few of these. First John chapter 2, verse 3. And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. There's a, a tie-in to obedience revealing that we have a deep relationship with Him. Now, we move on. Chapter 2, verse 5. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Take it again in context. Love for God is perfected. It's quite the statement, isn't it? Hereby know we that we are in him. We exist in him, with him. Great statement. First John chapter 2, verse 6. He that saith he abideth in him uh, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked now look ahead to verse 13 and 14 notice it i write unto you fathers because ye have known him that is from the beginning i write unto you young men because ye have overcome the wicked one i write unto you little children because ye have known the father I've written unto you, verse 14, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. You catching anything? You catch a, a thrust, a desire of God's heart, is that you and I would have a deep relationship with him. That what started at salvation and being introduced to God Almighty would now grow and thrive, would literally bud like a plant. That's God's heart and desire. That's the way the Christian life is supposed to be lived. If you have known him, this statement that's repeated several times in these two verses, again, it isn't the idea of salvation. It is the idea of knowing the heart and mind of God as it is revealed by him in nature, in his word, and by the Holy Spirit. 
And ultimately, where does this relationship take us? It takes us to love for God. That's why, interestingly enough, he comes down to verse number 15. You know it well. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world. Hmm. He's contrasting something here. You know him, it ought to grow to love. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love, and we could literally say for the Father, the love of the Father is not in him. That's interesting, isn't it? Ah, This relationship, as it began, is to grow deeper, to reach the level of love, even agape love. And in contrast, you can't love the world. You can't be delinquent and following after the things of this world and, and being under the counsel of this world. It's quite interesting, isn't it? We know well that John 14, 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, that's interesting. It gives us a good clue into relationship. Get this. Don't miss it. Hey, young people, don't miss this, okay? Not that one. Get this one. Obedience is the revelation of the depth of the relation. Obedience is the revelation of the depth of the relation. One of the ways a mother, we're on Mother's Day, one of the ways a mother can tell if her relationship with her child is good, you know, I can tell it by watching my own children, how they interact with my wife. She can tell them what to do, and, and I'll pick on the littlest guy, Caden. Caden is our one who wears everything on the outside. You don't have to ask what Caden is thinking or doing. You already know. Okay? It's everywhere. You can hear it down the hallways. You can hear it anywhere in the house. And so I know what Caden's doing. I can tell when Caden's relationship with Erica is fantastic. You know why? Because Erica will say something. Okay, Caden, you need to come here and, and, and do this. Okay, Mom. Yes, Mom. Right away, Mom. Literally. With that much energy, I don't know where he gets it, um, but that's what he says. He, literally, he does. When he's in a good mood, when everything's right between him and Erica, I'm telling you, I could, he, he's easy to read. But when, when things aren't right, whoo, Caden, you need to come to this. Sometimes, no. That'll get you in trouble. Sometimes it's this. What, what does that tell us? I tell us right now, he's not sitting too good with mom. And he probably won't be for a few more minutes, amen? It reveals this. Obedience is the revelation of the depth of the relation. So as my relationship goes with God, my obedience says a lot about it. It, It's the temperature gauge. it's the barometer, it's the thermometer to tell me, how is this going? Well, my obedience is the first place to look. How am I doing in the things I ought to do, and how am I doing in staying away from the things that God says to stay away from? And what is my attitude through it? Yes, sir, right away, God. Or is it, or is it, no, no. I tell you, it'll tell us a lot about your relationship with God. Obedience is revealing. It's all throughout scriptures. We see time and time again that example. 
Therefore, obedience, or excuse me, disobedience in either doing what God forbids or failure to do what he commands is delinquency on our part or on the part of any believer. It points to the relationship being anemic, unhealthy, and not growing as it should, as God desires for it to do. Just as you work with your own children and you grow them so that more often than not, they are obedient and they'll heed you and they'll have a great spirit doing, obeying the right way, right away with the right attitude. As you train with that, as your relationship as a parent and the child grows and, and boy, they trust you and obey you and they, uh, boy, they start doing great and boy, there's less times of discipline and that's fantastic. Hey, my friend, your heavenly father wants the same thing with his children. He wants the exact same thing. That as we draw closer to him, and in obedience we follow after him, and uh, if that's not there, we've got to say, wait a minute, this diagnosis is looking that this relationship is either not here or it's not very healthy. We've got to get back to building and feeding that relationship. It leads to our next step in the diagnosis, and that is this, determining what is wrong with the relationship and how to fix it. As we scrutinize our relationship with God, there's one truth that helps to shed light or confirm what might be the problem. So just as obedience is the revelation of the depth of the relation, get this truth, one's depth of relationship determines one's depth of despair when it's not going well. So one's depth of relationship determines one's depth of despair when it's not going well. For instance, let me just give you a a silly illustration. I know that in my years of driving that it is highly likely that I have pulled out in front of a complete stranger. Don't look at me like you've never done that, okay? I see some of your faces. Sometimes you get distracted, talking on the phone. I don't know. And and you pull out and you look in your rearview mirror and the guy's on your bumper. Okay? In that moment, you may feel a little bad. Oh, man, I'm sorry. (laughs) You ever do that? I've done that before. Like he can hear me. Sorry. (laughs) You know, and he's not waving the same way I am. But anyway, uh, (laughs) sorry. You know. But you know what happens? We're over that pretty easily, aren't we? I mean, honestly, we get over that. We, you probably don't remember the last time you did it, but you did it. Well, what if you take somebody you're a friend with? Take somebody you know. And you pull out in front of them, okay? Last week, I did it to Brother Ernie Robinson. <laughs> I pulled out in front of Ernie. Um, it was at Wingert's. And, uh, yeah, I pulled, he was pulling this way, and I, I didn't see him. I just pulled right there. So I, I did the cover-up thing. Oh, hi. <laughs> you know, just waved to him, and he didn't buy it, unfortunately. <laughs> Okay, so when you know somebody that you, that, that, you know, have a little bit of a relationship with, I think I know Ernie, we've had some good times talking and getting to know each other, and we have a good relationship, and so, yeah, that, that bothered me. I, I don't feel good about pulling out, thankfully he was fine with it, he didn't yell at me or scream or anything like that. I did see a gun in Debbie's hand. No, just kidding, I'm just kidding, I did not, okay, uh, but no, uh, it's fine with it, but I feel, I feel worse about that than I would a complete stranger. Can I tell you this? If I offend my wife in some way, that takes it up to a whole different level. Because I know her, and she knows me like no one else that I know. No one else she knows. In fact, if there's an offense, if there's a problem between me and her, that's going to affect me a, a great deal. 
going to upset me. In fact, it may affect my eating. It may affect my sleeping. It may be that I can't get it off my mind and I, until I fix it, until I make it right. Now, I don't feel the same way like that as I do earning. Different relationship. And I certainly don't feel the same way about a complete stranger when I do something against them. Now, listen to me. How the depth of your relationship with God goes will determine the despair when you disappoint him. It will bother you to the degree of your relationship with him. The depth of your relationship will determine the depth of your despair when that relationship is not right. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If there is sin present, if I have done something, if I am delinquent in some way, the reality of the statement of life is this. Huh. This relationship isn't good. But I'll tell you, if it is a deep relationship, it will greatly affect my heart. Now think about it. The diagnosis would be easy to make. It's this. You don't have to read it. I'll read it for you. If I falter and fail, either in sinning against him, God, or at obeying my Lord and what he's instructed in his word, when I do that... If I have little remorse, if my heart is not moved too much, and if I can easily ignore the growing conviction instead of breaking under its presence, then I must conclude that my relationship with God is stagnant, it's of little depth, and it is in need of help or fixing. We can't just dismiss it. Well, you know what? Hey, you know, uh, yeah, I, I messed up, I slipped up, but, you know, that's just Satan getting the better of me. No, friend, something's wrong with your relationship. Something has become between you and your Lord. And if you have the least, smallest amount of sin, this is interrupted. And if that relationship means anything to you, you will do whatever it takes to make it right. Just like you love your wife or you love your husband and you don't want anything to come between you, you don't want anything to cause despair or heartache or hurt. My friend, you as a Christian have the greatest relationship there could ever be and that's with God Almighty. And the sin of omission or the sin of commission makes you a delinquent and it affects this relationship. So how much you are in despair and affected by the sins in your life, the lack of purity and holiness will tell us a good deal about the level or the depth of your relationship with God. We might put it this way. If one cares little for being holy and pure in one's heart, in one's words, in one's actions, as you have the knowledge of a holy God... The only right conclusion is that the relationship is not very strong and it's not very deep and you don't know him very well. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3, you can certainly look at it there before you. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Boy, you know him, you want to be like him. You want to please him. If in your life, pleasing God doesn't hold that much water, if it doesn't rank in determining how you live, then you need to go back and say, well, how deep is my relationship with God? You know, there's been many a time where I've met a Christian. Well, I don't think they've got beyond much of, hi, God, how do you do? My name is. 
Oh, yes, they know God. They've been introduced by Jesus Christ. But the reality is they are still babes in Christ. They have not grown. And this relationship, it isn't very deep. They couldn't go on for very long describing who their God is, what he is like, what his likes are, what his dislikes are, what pleases him, what displeases him, the closeness. They wouldn't have that. So the diagnosis is pretty clear about that type of relationship. The command to be holy as God is holy is given, yes, for every Christian, but really it's for the serious, sold-out believer who's walking closely with the Lord and Savior with whom they have a very deep relationship. Have you ever heard this? Have you ever heard a wife or husband say this? And typically it's after being married for many years. In other words, years in which they grew to know each other. Have you ever heard a husband or wife say something to this effect? I just don't know what I would do without him. I don't think I could go on living if something happened to her. You ever hear that? I have. In fact, this past week I was, had the privilege of sitting down and talking with a 93-year-old lady who had been married 70 years. Pretty impressive, isn't it? You know what else impresses? Mr. and Mrs. Cooper, 63 years today. It's pretty impressive. Congratulations. Happy anniversary. 63 years, 70 years, that's tremendous. Those are the kind of people that you talk to and you're like, how can you imagine what life would be like even without them? Do you remember what that was like? Do you, do you have any, any inclination of remembering what it was like before, you, before your life was so consumed with that relationship? You getting it, Christian? Because as I talked with that believer, that 93-year-old lady, she shared some challenges of life. She shared some ups and downs. And you know what we both came to agree on? I don't see how anybody makes it in this world without knowing God. That, if that is your heart tonight, I couldn't make it without God. I'll tell you, friend, that's a pretty good indicator to the depth of a relationship. I don't, wanna, I don't even think about life without my God. I don't even consider that without this relationship... If you ask me what my life consists of, it consists of my relationship with God. I can't think of anything apart from it. That's literally what we have described before us here. It's not a perfect life in which there is no sin. But it is a life in which sin, now listen to me, is not constantly and consistently present. It's avoided as much as possible because you can't stand for anything to affect this. You can't stand the despair that you would feel when something is between you and God. See, John makes this point. I love the people who want to look at 1 John chapter 1, and, and they want to look at verse 8, and, and they want to hang their hats on this. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Say, we're all sinners. Stop condemning people. Stop talking about sin and everything else. Hey, we're all sinners. They jump down to verse number 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We understand that. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But isn't it interesting, stay with me, isn't it interesting, the same author, the same book, just a few chapters over, chapter 3, we read it a second ago, verse number 6, whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. 
And whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. He goes on. It's not just one verse. Look down at verse number 9. Whoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. Verse 10. In this, notice it, in this the children of God are manifest. They're declared. They're exposed. And the children of the devil likewise Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Wow, what do we make of that? Here's John, he says, listen, hey, if you say you have no sin, boy, you deceive yourself, you make God a liar. Then a couple chapters later, he's writing, saying this, (laughs) a child of God doesn't sin. What's he saying? Well, think about it. What's John developing? First John chapter 1, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about the reality of the beginning of our relationship. When we came to put our faith and trust in Christ, we had to admit that we are a sinner bound for hell. There's none righteous, no, not one. That's literally what John's pointing to. But then he's saying, as that relationship begins, because we are sinners, and Christ had to be the one to introduce us to God, then as our relationship grows, it buds and it blossoms. And the fact is this, as we get to know God, we understand the character of God. Now listen to me. There are things that I know Erica does not like. So on Mother's Day, I will not bring her those things. You call that wise. Yes, it is. Amen. So there's things I know. I've learned about Erica that, boy, I'm not going to bring her. She doesn't like this. She doesn't like this. Oh, she really likes this. I'm going to do that. And so there are things that I have learned in my relationship with my wife that, man, as, we have, as I've come to know her, as I've come to learn about her, there are things that I'm going to do. Can I tell you, that's what John is describing. He says, listen, you serve a holy God, a pure God, and as your relationship deepens and grows, you're going to come to the realization, I don't want there to be any sin in my life. I want to avoid sin as much as possible. And so when he gets to chapter 3, what he is describing here is not a life that is 100% free of sin all the time. No, what he's describing is somebody who doesn't want sin to stick around for long and will do their gracious best, by the grace of God, their best to keep as much sin away, to resist the devil. To not love the world. To not allow this body to bring them into subjection. John is describing the reality of this truth. I I love that last verse. He says, the children of God are manifest in this way. In other words, the children of God are those who have a solid, deep, child-father relationship with God. They will not have their lives marked by consistent or constant sin that doesn't prick their hearts. You show me a Christian who has some sin in their life, pride that emanates from them, some selfishness that seems to be always there, and my friend, I will show you a Christian whose relationship with God is not very deep. Pastor Henry, you ought not to judge. It's not me judging, it's 1 John. It's 1 John. It's God's Word exposing for us so that this relationship can get better. So that you and I, as loving brothers and sisters, we can come alongside them and and encourage them and help them to develop this relationship into what God wants it to be. That's the point. And he says the children of God do not have that. Could we put it this way? 
scratch that. Let's put it this way. Their lives, speaking of the children of God from verse 10, their lives will be marked by righteousness, get this, righteousness with the occasional interruption of sin. And yet when that sin happens, they are torn up over it. When they are confronted about sin in their life, delinquency, they don't attack their fellow believer. They don't lash out at God, but rather they fix it. When the Holy Spirit speaks to them in that still, small voice, they stop and they listen and they heed. They're concerned about this relationship being what it needs to be. You see, there are no perfect, sinless people around. We know that. You see, one of the, one of the keys in our uh, Sunday school lessons here in our adult classes that we've been teaching, are we there yet on marriage? And one of the things they emphasize time and time again, that there are no perfect marriages. All have conflict, all have disagreements at time. And we talked about this, the same idea of the teaching as we've had in the church, that where there is diversification, it's going to can be a grounds uh, for conflict. It's a matter of how you handle that. It's a matter of your attitude and your spirit looking into that. So the same way is true even here. You can look at a person and you can say, wow, just like you might a marriage, you can look at them and say, wow, we know there's no sinless, perfect people walking around, but you might look at them and say, wow, they seem to have it all in order. I mean, spiritually speaking, boy, I hadn't heard one bad thing out of their mouth, unkind, uh, nothing. I mean, everything I see them do, man, they, just, they always seem to have the joy of the Lord. That, they just seem to have it together spiritually. I'll tell you this, there are people like that, and they aren't, it isn't that there's some super Christians, they've attained a level that none of us can, they aren't some spiritual giant, the fact is this, now listen carefully, the fact is they have a deep, enjoyable relationship with their God, and when something, even something small, disrupts that relationship, it only takes a quiet reprimand from the Holy Spirit, and they will fix it. It can only happen in a life that is enjoying a deep, growing relationship with God. So there's no perfect people, but there sure are and can be Christians who have such a deep relationship with God that the moment they think a wrong thought, the moment they say something they shouldn't, the Holy Spirit pricks their heart and they are so consumed with ensuring that this relationship is all that it should be, boy, they're on their knees immediately. In their mind and in their heart, they're praying, God, forgive me. I should have never said that. I should have never thought that. Father, I'm sorry that this sin came in. And so for all practical purposes, man, we look at this like, wow, it's like they're without sin. Oh, no, they have sin, but the fact is this. They're so close to God that the moment it brings its little head up, they take care of it. Would to God that you and I were that kind of Christian. Amen? We cared so deeply that this relationship meant so much to us. that Boy, the least little thing will not survive. I remember this, and I'm done. I have a couple more pages. We'll have to wait till next Sunday, okay? But listen carefully. I remember sitting just about here, actually probably where the Kennedys are, um, as a pastor's kid. And <laughs> I remember sitting there often, my dad preaching, visiting pastor or preacher, preaching evangelist, whatever the case may be, but specifically when my dad was preaching. And I remember this. There was two things that often got my attention when I was maybe not doing right there. 
And for me, it may have been moving around too much. Hard to believe. I get it. But um, that, was, that may have been what it was. I remember this. Even as I was preaching, my dad would look. And I'll tell you, my friend, that look did a lot for me. Especially when my heart was tender. When my love for my father had grown to such a degree that just a look of chastening or a look of, I'm disappointed, knock it off, that corrected me. There was something else that would sometimes happen. Um, I was the youngest, so I don't know if I was a mama's boy or what, but I would try to sit next to my mom during the service. She would often put her arm around me. I remember sometimes when I wasn't doing right, I'd get a little tap on my shoulder. That was the calm before the storm, amen? (laughs) And I knew. I knew what mom was saying. It's time to shape up. You're crossing that line to where you're going to disappoint me. And I'll tell you, when my heart was tender, when uh, it was in my heart, my relationship with my parents was all that it should be, boy, that corrected me right away. Shape up, Bible here, let's pay attention. So let me ask you this as we close tonight. What would heaven say about your relationship with God? What would heaven's account be? What would they describe it as? Do you have a relationship first? Have you trusted in Christ? Have you been introduced to God through God himself, Jesus Christ? And then how is your relationship tonight? Is it budding? Is it growing? Is, is the least little bit that comes in that separates you, man, it just, it, it knocks you off Kelter, I mean, you're, you can't do anything till you make it right. Or ha, are you able to go a long time with sin in your life? Is there sin in your life now? And this relationship is as cold as anything. My friend, only you and God truly know. Oh, your fruit will eventually show it to others. But I'll tell you this. A godly believer never lets it get there. When the Holy Spirit comes knocking, says, hey, we have some business to do. we got to get this relationship back where it needs to be. A person, a believer who has a deep relationship with God, they want to get it done, taken care of right away. What does heaven say about your relationship with God tonight? Father, I thank you for your word, and Lord, I'm grateful for the teaching of it, and Lord, the convicting power of it for each one of us. And Lord, you know my heart tonight. I, Lord, I'm burdened that our young people understand that they, in knowing God, they have a relationship with you, that they would see what they have through Jesus Christ, and Father, that they would have a heart to build upon it, they would have a desire to grow it deeper with each passing day. Father, I'm burdened for our our young people, our our teenagers, Lord, that they would have such a thriving relationship with you, and uh, they would be concerned where something they do, allow in their life, affects that relationship. And Lord, I I know there are seasons we all go through in which, uh, Lord, it just doesn't seem to Uh, affect us. Lord, I pray that you would convict us and help us to maintain a deep, growing relationship with you. Lord, I trust tonight that your Holy Spirit has spoken, that each Christian here knows exactly what business we need to do with you. Father, my job's done, and I entrust it to you. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts now, loudly, And that we would respond and act accordingly. 
And Father, even in this moment of invitation, I pray that some relationships with you would be repaired. Some depth would be found that hasn't been there for a while. And Father, some growth would take place. We ask you to do what only you can do. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'll ask you to join me in standing all across the auditorium. As the piano begins to play, let's do the business he's called us to do. How is it for you, friend? What's heaven's account of your relationship? 